Cause sometimes I be right. Hello. Welcome back, Cyber Family. This is your first time. Welcome. Thanks for joining. We got a good show today, y'all. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna touch on that uh the whole LaMelo Ball hype train thing. We're gonna talk about the Knicks a little bit. You know, it's fight week. Gotta talk about that, right? Little Ohio State, Penn State recap. Cowboys, Vikings, what a thrilling game. We're going to revisit again something that I noticed I'm starting to get obsessed about. This is Sometimes I'll Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what's up, Wally. We got a good show for you today. I want to I wanna start as fight week. You guys know how I feel about big boxing events. And this one, this is a big one. This is, this is one of those that I wish I didn't like either guy. So I wasn't so emotionally invested. And then I could just have fun with it, right? So Canelo Alvarez versus Caleb Plant Saturday for the undisputed super middleweight title. It's going to be a great fight. Now, here's, here's something that I noticed has been happening with this fight. Something I feel is very telling. And uh, I, I've just started noticing it because I've, you know, I'm a huge Canelo Alvarez fan, right? My favorite boxer. Not, not necessarily because of, you know, it, I'm, I'm a fan because of the way he fights, right? I love his temperament. I love his attitude, his demeanor. Very business-like, gets in there, goes, fights, whatever is whatever, right? I like that. I like those kind of guys. Not really much of a trash talker, although now, now that he's starting to use his English a lot more, he's starting to be, seems a little bit more combative than we once thought, right? (laughs) Used to seem like a really quiet, humble, everybody's great guy. Now seems to be a little more puff his chest out a bit. That's all right, though. Listen, that's all right. All right, you get to that point, undisputed, right? Number one guy in the world, pound for pound. You, you can puff your chest out a little bit, right? You work to get to that level. Well, one thing I noticed, and, and it hit me a couple days ago, listening to Caleb Plant. Now, again, let me restate for everybody. If you haven't been listening to the show, if you're new here, let me restate. I like Caleb Plant, right? Like, I like him. I like his demeanor. I like his attitude. I like his cool, hey, I'm a fighter. I stay in shape all year. I'm not one of those guys who lets himself go, signs on for a fight, and then starts to get in shape. No, no, no. I stay in shape. This is my life. I love this, right? I like it. I like his style. Quick, quick hands. Throws a lot of punches. Aggressive. Slick. I'm a fan. Again, if he if he weren't fighting Canelo, this Saturday, I would be rooting for him to win, right? If he were to beat Canelo, and I'm not giving my prediction yet, I wouldn't even be mad that it was him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if you're a fan of somebody and your guy's going to lose, like, I'm not mad that you would be losing to this guy, to Caleb Plant. I like him. I'm I'm going to follow him, right? <laughs> Beyond this fight, I'm interested in what he does next, win or lose, right? That's where I stand on Caleb Plant. But I have noticed this interesting thing that has been happening 
throughout the build-up to this fight. Caleb Plant has been talking a lot about how people are underestimating him. Canelo's underestimating me. The media's underestimating me. Look at where I come from. Look at what I've been through. You guys have no idea. You guys have doubted me before. Everybody's doubted me. I'm going to shock the world. I'm okay with that. They don't have to believe in me. Two things about that. Number one, who are you talking to? He's not, he very rarely talks about Canelo or his team underestimating him or doubting him. It's usually about the public or the media not giving him credit or saying that he can't do it or not believing he could do it. And I would say, why are you talking to the media or concerned about the media or the fans? You should be concerned about your opponent and what your opponent thinks and believes. Focus on him. Because now if you listen to Canelo talk, Canelo doesn't address anybody else. Canelo addresses him. He will say, he's not on this level. He'll talk to him and say, you're not on my level. He'll say, he's going to see November 6th. Everything is directed at Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant, on the other hand, talks a lot about, I'm, I, I prove people wrong all the time. You guys have doubted me before. And it just, to me, feels a lot like one fighter believes and understands who he is and who the opponent is in front of him. And the other fighter is, believes in his skills, but is trying to convince himself that he's better than where he is. Right? Does that make sense? Probably not. I don't feel like I delivered that right. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, like, Canelo's confidence seems to come from a place of, I've fought the best, I've seen everything. You're not going to present anything in the ring that I've never seen before. I fought fast-handed guys. I fought heavy hitters. I fought quick foot guys. I fought guys that like to move, stick and move. I fought guys that like to come straight forward. There's nothing that Caleb Plant is going to put in front of Canelo that he has no idea what to do. He's never seen it. It's just a matter of can Caleb Plant be consistent enough and disciplined enough to stick with his game plan or is the pressure of Canelo and the constant pressure and the aggression and the power going to cause him to step outside of that and maybe get outside of himself and slip up, right? That's what it's always about, right? So this whole idea, like Caleb Plant comes across as if he's trying to to consistently remind himself that he can do this. I like I can do this. Trust me, guys. God, hey guys, trust me, I can do this. You guys have no idea how good I am. You guys are all gonna see I'm gonna prove all of you wrong. It's almost as if he's trying to hype himself up. It's a weird thing, right? Canelo's not doing that. Canelo is the same that he's always been. Canelo's very consistent in his demeanor. And they talk about, oh, this seems to be much more personal for Canelo this time. And it's like, it might be, sure. Even with that being said, his demeanor is still the same. And I love the things that he's saying where it's like, I'm confident, not in a bad way, though. And what he meant by that was not overconfident thinking, I'm just going to walk through this guy. Because he said, it's going to be difficult. He's very good fighter. He's got a good jab, good movement, quick hands, good power. See, I feel like Canelo's the type of guy who understands, I can say I'm going to beat you, but it's based on the fact that, look at my resume. Look at where I've been. Look at how hard I work. 
Caleb Plant has never faced anyone as good as Canelo. Put it to you this way. Caleb Plant has spent a lot of this buildup talking about disrespect and people doubting him. Bro, nobody's doubting you. But anyone picking the fight will look at these two fighters and say one of them has an unbelievable resume. Look at Canelo's resume. The guys he's fought, the guys he's beat. He's lost one time. And that one fight was the Floyd Mayweather. And let me tell you, that was the most impressive fight I've ever seen. The most impressive. Floyd Mayweather made Canelo Alvarez look like a bum. I was watching that fight, and it was the first time that I, like, out-of-body experience was like, I can't believe how good this guy is. Because you knew, because of the lead-up, what Canelo was. You knew about his speed. You knew about his power. You knew about his aggression. You knew all that. You knew he was a good fighter. He was presented to you as, this is a really good fighter. You knew who Floyd was. But when you see how Floyd dominated that fight, it's like, how? How are you that good at this one thing that this guy across from you, who against everybody else looks like a world beater, looks like a bum? It was, go watch it. Go watch the fight. It was amazing. But that's besides the point. I'm off on a tangent. But if you look at his resume, his resume is impressive. He's fought everybody. He's fought anybody you would want to see him fight. There's not a guy you'd want to see him fight that he hasn't fought yet. And then going forward, you think, well, what about this guy? What about that? He's fight. He's willing to fight everybody. And that's why I love Canelo. Is he wants to fight. This is his fourth fight in the last year. That's amazing. This guy likes to fight. And they asked him yesterday on the arrivals. Four fights in a year. What's that about? And he said, I love boxing. I love fighting. I just love to do it. So I want to do it as much as possible. That's amazing. <laughs> Such a simple, honest answer. How do you not, like, root for Canelo, right? So, Caleb Plant, you being picked to lose the fight is not a disrespect to you or to your ability. It is acknowledging that one guy is pound for pound number one, and that's based on resume and what we see. You, on the other hand, 21 fights. And, and you've never fought anyone. You've never fought anyone close to the level of Canelo. I've said that before. But to put it in perspective, let's just take their last five fights. Canelo's last five opponents was Billy Joe Saunders, Avni Yildrim, Callum Smith, Sergey Kovalev, and Danny Jacobs. Okay, those are his last five fights. And the Yildrim fight was a stay-busy fight. I honestly think that was like, I need to stay busy. I'm going to be fighting Billy Joe, but I need to fight in between. Because Callum Smith was a world champion. A champion at 168 pounds, undefeated. Really good fighter. 6'3", much taller, longer reach, strong. A good fighter. Really good fighter. Right? So he knew he was going to fight Billy Joe next, but he needed, like, a fight to stay busy. I guess in contracts, I'm pretty sure it was like, we're going to fight in May. And he was like, yo, I need to fight in between to kind of just stay fresh. And so he went with, like, the mandatory guy, the next guy in line. Who's the next guy in line? Okay, I'll fight him. I don't think he cared. I don't think it was like, I'm going to handpick this guy. But he walked through him in two rounds. It was nothing. It was a stay, it was a stay busy fight. 
But outside of that, you have Billy Joe Saunders, who was undefeated, Callum Smith, who was undefeated in the champion, Sergey Kovalev, who, yeah, a little, he's past his prime, but he's still 175 pounds. Canelo still had to move up to 175 pounds to, pay, to face Kovalev, a guy with power, and everybody will tell you, even as you age, that power doesn't go nowhere. Right? And Kovalev was afraid of Canelo in that fight. Canelo's consistent pressure, his 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 quick counter punching caused Kovalev to to not be able to fully commit to his punches and fully commit to throwing anything hard because of what was coming back in return. And he knocked him out. And then he fought Danny Jacobs before that. Those are his last five fights, right? That's it's impressive. Right? All of those guys, previous belt holders, except Yildrim. I don't know if Yildrim ever had a belt, but the other ones have held belts. Caleb Plant's last five fights. Caleb Truax. Vincent Finebutts. I think I'm saying that right. Mike Lee. Jose Uzkatagi. I think I'm saying that wrong. (laughs) And some guy named Regalo Medina. Bro, like, just, just last five fights. And and the the Uzkatagi fight, I, I know I'm saying that wrong, y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've heard it said, but then I see it spelled, and for some reason it doesn't translate in my head. I, I it, my my lips and my tongue don't move in that way to make to, to say that name. I apologize, but anyway, that's like his claim to fame. That's when he got his IBF belt, right? That's that's your toughest test, your biggest fight. That's the guy. Danny Jacobs is picked to beat every one of those guys. If, da- if Danny Jacobs is fighting those guys, Danny Jacobs is favored to beat every one of them. Callum Smith would be favored to beat any one of them, and so would Billy Joe Saunders. Right? Translation, you're not picked to win the fight, not because people don't believe in your skill, but people believe in the levels of boxing, the levels of fighting. Canelo's on a different level. You're on a tier below. We've never seen you against this opposition. We've seen Canelo fight guys that would give you, we feel like would give you trouble and possibly even win. So if I have to pick one, I'm not just going to pick you because I like you. I'm not just going to say, oh, you know what? Every boxer has a moment where they, they are on the lower level and they rise up to the occasion and win the fight. Yeah, they do. And guess what? In those fights, they weren't picked to win. And that's fine. You have to show it. You have to prove it. Right? And in this case, it's just Caleb Plant's time to prove it. But people aren't just going to pick you just because. So what do I think is going to happen? How do I look at this fight? Okay. So I would like to formally apologize to any of the Floyd Mayweather stands for the way I used to speak of Mayweather. (laughs) I used to trash Mayweather. I used to trash his opponents. I used to watch the fights and rooting like hell for him to lose. And I apologize. Watching Canelo now makes me just appreciate Floyd and his career and what he did. Right? Because he fought guys. And he went out there. He did what he was supposed to do. He was confident. And every time I say, oh, this guy's arrogant. Oh, he's overlooking. And the media and the coverage always portrayed his opponent as this could be the guy to finally solve the riddle. And they weren't. And that's what I feel like is happening with Canelo. Every guy he fights now is like, oh, this guy's going to give him trouble. And can we stop the narrative 
of Canelo's struggles with slick fighters. Two fights in his life. Two. One, two. Two fights. Floyd Mayweather, arguably the greatest boxer of all time. Everyone struggled with Floyd. And the second one was Arias Landy Lara, who was a slick Cuban fighter, who he fought seven years ago. That's it. That's what you're pulling on. We say, oh, he struggles with slick fighters. He struggles with guys with good movement. Two fights in out of like 59, 60. Two fights. Let it go. That's not true. It ain't true. <laughs> That's not a thing. He doesn't struggle with slick fighters. Guess what? Every fighter, when you go in there, if you got a guy that's moving around a lot and a guy that's quick-footed and has great footwork, he's going to give you some trouble, especially early in the fight as you try to adjust his speed, his movements, figure him out. That's part of the chess of boxing. Everybody goes through it. So when you look at the Billy Joe Saunders fight and you say, after five rounds, Billy Joe was doing really good. Of course he was. Canelo was trying to figure out how to solve the puzzle. Within that, though, what is happening? What is happening is Canelo is downloading information, seeing what his opponent's doing, comparing that, trying some stuff, trying to set some traps, doing things. He's boxing. He's taking his time. He's not going in there saying, I'm going to knock you out in the first round. He's saying the same thing he said against Billy Joe. He's telling Caleb Plant, it's going to be tough early. He's got a really good jab. He's a good fighter. I'm going to figure him out. And and between the seventh and ninth round, I'm going to take him out. Now, that would seem super arrogant. Like, oh, come on, man. Be home. You're going to knock him out. Court, whatever. But when you think about it, Canelo's not saying it based on, oh, I'm just a knockout guy. He's saying it based on, in his mind, he could see something happening. He's going to be looking for something. And when that opening comes... He knows that he has the ability to capitalize on it. And that's what happened with Billy Joe. He noticed very early in that fight, and probably noticed before the fight watching film, Billy Joe will throw a punch and lean to one side. And Canelo said, every time he does this, he leans to this side. I'm going to come with an uppercut. And he did. And Billy Joe leaned and he just missed. Got him a little bit. Okay, didn't hit him clean, but he was like, okay, I see. It's there. And sure enough, in the eighth round, Billy Joe threw a punch, leaned down to that one side, and Canelo took all of his soul, put it in that fist, came up with a cup, broke his face. So he everything he says is based on what I know, what I've done, what I've experienced, not based on thoughts and ideas, but based on real physical, this is what we've done before. I've watched film of you. I've studied you. I know what you like to do. I know your tendencies. And when I get in the ring... Obviously, it's different when you win there. But once it starts to come together and I start to figure, I'm, I'm going to get to you. So what I think is going to happen, I think, I think very early, oh, do I th- Caleb Plant is going to come out and it's going to look fast, going to look quick, going to look strong, going to look confident because he is. And I think Canelo's going to do what he always does. I think he's going to be patient, methodical, take his time. I think he's going to allow Caleb Plant to throw early. And I think after about two or three rounds, it's going to be very obvious that Canelo is going to win the fight. Right? After two or three rounds, you're going to say, oh, that's it. 
Canelo's going to win. And there's going to be a clear difference of levels. And it's going to say Canelo's on a different level from Caleb Plant. And as good as Caleb Plant is, he ain't Canelo yet. And I think Canelo's going to outbox him. I think Canelo's going to hurt him multiple times in a fight. I don't think it ends in knockout or stoppage. But I do think in about round three or four, he's going to hit He's going to hit Plant with a very, very quick, hard counterpunch. Right? So Plant's going to be doing his thing, throwing his punches, getting his combinations in there, feeling real good. And he's going to throw something. Canelo's going to slip it and return with something heavy. Something heavy and fast. And I think that punch is going to cause Caleb Plant to reconsider everything. And it's going to turn much into the Callum Smith fight, which is, I'm hesitant now. Because that's what was so amazing about the Callum Smith fight was, Callum Smith's not a bum. You could say he's not great, he's a good fighter, he's not great, whatever, fine. But he's not a bum. And he's not a guy that's just going to stand there with his hands up and not throw any punches. And that's what he turned into. Because every time he thought of punching, Canelo was coming back with something quick and hard. And so it makes you hesitate, makes you a, a little more hesitant. And I think that's what's going to happen with Caleb Plant. And I think Canelo's going to walk away with the fight. I think it ends in a unanimous decision. I think there's never a question of who's the better fighter. I don't think there's ever a question of, it's never a doubt. But I think, yeah, right around round three or four, Caleb Plant is going gonna, is gonna to realize that he, he's got to be careful. And he's going to go into survival mode and try to box a little bit more. And Canelo's the A-side. Judges aren't going to give you a decision because you pop a jab and run around for, for three minutes. They're not going to give you the decision over the golden boy of boxing. You got to earn it. Even though you got a belt, you got the IBF. This guy got the other ones. They're, they're going to take your belt if you don't go out there and beat this guy. So Canelo wins by unanimous decision. We'll, we'll, we'll see next week if that was true. Let's switch gears now. Let's touch on the, the Cowboys versus Vikings Sunday night football game. Right? Halloween. Right? T- two things I noticed. Number one, I said that I was, I said a couple weeks ago I was about two or three more wins. Two or three more big wins away from saying this team's winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, right? So I'm one more win away from coming in here and telling you guys they're going to win the Super Bowl. And what I mean by win is not just go win the game. Like, they're, they're going against Denver this week. Uh, if they beat the Broncos, I'm not going to say, oh, they're, they're winning the Super Bowl because they got another win. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is every Super Bowl team that has ever won has, like, something. There's something about the team that you look at and you notice very early, this is a little different, right? It's the the, the camaraderie they have or or the way they, they win close games or there, there's something that you just look at and say, ah, there's something about this team. The Cowboys have that. The Cowboys camaraderie and the way they play together and the way they like each other and the way they root for each other, if you see it, you're like, okay, this team is, this is a close team, Right? Their defense, I said a couple weeks ago, was like, they're playing with fire. And they're getting away with it right now, but at some point they're going to get burned. Well, this game against Minnesota, it was a tough game, but they won it 
on their defense. Their defense stepped up and won this game. And that, that the defensive line, Randy Gregory has been amazing this year. Micah Parsons at linebacker is just dominant as a rookie. The cornerbacks have been have been holding up, right? Not Diggs. Anthony Brown, okay? I'm sorry. The guy who never gets talked about opposite of Diggs is playing outstanding this year. The safety play has been good for the first time. If you're a Cowboys fan, you understand. The Cowboys haven't had a good safety since Darren Woodson. You could say Roy Williams. Roy Williams was good for two seasons and was never good against the pass. He was only good coming up against the run because he was a big hitter. Outside of it, I can't tell you how many times I would be watching the, the, the Giants game with my friend and Jeremy Shockey would just beat him down the field because Roy Williams couldn't guard anybody. Right? Like, they've had bad safety play forever. And this season, they are getting really good safety play. If their defense at this point continues to progress as you would anticipate, I know I'm the guy that says not every it's not always just going to get better. It's it could just be what it is. But this is good enough. If it gets any better, and guess what? DeMarcus Lawrence is coming back at defensive end. He's been out. He's going to come back. Now you pair him with Gregory in that rotation, you're going to have fresh bodies. I'm telling you, this D-line is going to be dominant come the end of the season. If they keep stacking these tough wins, these games that it looks like maybe they shouldn't maybe they shouldn't get this one, maybe this is the one they're going to lose, and they keep finding a way to pull it out, they keep bearing down and, and making one or two big plays, that Zeke Elliott third and eleven play at the end of the game to get that first down to set up that touchdown that was huge. That was a situation where I could just go down on first contact, get the field goal, let's take it to overtime. But he didn't. He said, "No, no, I can get this," and he went for it. That aggressiveness, that toughness, that grit. This is a gritty team. This isn't your flashy. America's team, ah, no, this is a gritty, down and dirty, I will fight you type of team, and that's the type of team could be Super Bowl bound. Not going to say it yet. I love what I'm seeing, though, and not just the results. Not just saying because they won. Even if they had lost, I would say this team is gritty. And that's something that's going to carry to every game and carry you through the entire season And that's a recipe for winning the championship. Now, let's talk about Penn State, Ohio State real quick. Let's get this out the way, okay? Ohio State won. I thought they were going to, I thought it was going to be a massacre, but it wasn't. It was a close game, competitive game. Ohio State was clearly better, but something got exposed, and that's the defense. The defense has been playing really good. As a fan, even myself, I kind of bought into the idea of like, man, this team, this team's rolling. And then you get quickly reminded the level of competition they have been facing very weak, right? So the defense wasn't really being tested because there was nothing on the other side of the ball. So, of course, the defense is looking great. They're getting turnovers, interceptions, whatever. Ain't nobody else there. Penn State was 11 of 16 on third down. 
you do that against a better team, like a college football playoff team, you do that against Alabama, you do that against Oklahoma, you do that against Georgia, and it's it's night-night. You ain't winning that game. You don't even have a chance to win that game. And you have 10 penalties? That's unacceptable. They got to clean that up. Both areas have to be cleaned up. But what I was encouraged by is the offense didn't look great. Offense didn't look good. At times, they looked terrible. C.J. Stroud never flinched. Travion Henderson never flinched. Even when he was getting one yard of carry, he didn't pout. He didn't complain. He didn't seem lost. He wasn't trying to do too much. He was playing within the system. No arrogance on this team. Everybody stuck to the system, to the script, and trusted what they did, what they were supposed to do, and just did their job. And if it didn't work, cool, let's move on, let's get better, let's clean it up. But they never flinched. I like that. They're not this big offensive juggernaut, and when you put a little pressure, you hit them in the mouth, and all of a sudden they fade. No, 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 no. They're going to keep coming. They're tough, tough as nails. The other thing I liked was the defensive line has been playing outstanding. Now, you guys have to remember, so much of this defense was turned over from last year. So many guys left. The entire secondary is all new guys. Linebackers, new guys. Guys that didn't start last year. Guys that barely played last year. So, there's so many new faces on this defense. So, it's understandable early in the year there might be some struggles. It's even understandable at this point you might still struggle a little bit. But that defensive line is coming up. That defensive line is coming together. They're getting pressure. They are dominating, stopping the run. They gave up 33 rushing yards for the game. That's incredible. I like Ohio State. College football playoff uh, rankings was released last night, and they come in at number five. Initially, I was like, oh, that's BS. They're better than Oregon, but they did lose head-to-head to Oregon. So I can't be mad at that. What I am mad about, though, is I don't like Alabama being at number two. To me, that feels like we would put them at number one, but they have a loss. So if they didn't have a loss, they were going to be number one. Because Alabama has built that reputation of Alabama is the best team in the country always. And if they're not one, they're two. Alabama should be five. They, They haven't looked... They've looked like a team... That just hasn't gone up against anyone of equal footing yet. They look like a team that will get blown out by Georgia. That's what they look like. Blown out. I'm just saying. I'm, you know what? I probably shouldn't even speak of them. I have a, I have a natural hate for Alabama. <laughs> so I'm going to just leave that one alone for now. Listen, man, let's talk about the Knicks. Listen, I've been trying. I haven't I haven't really been saying anything. The basketball season's young. There's so many games left. So many things can happen. But now is the time where I feel comfortable. You know, they're 5-2 and two right now. I feel like, you know, let me at least mention it. Let people know. Because I, I know I said episode one I was a Knicks fan. So let me let you guys know. I am a Knicks fan. I have been watching the games. And what I'm going to say is Julius Randle, man. This guy... This guy is playing incredible for this franchise. This is exactly what they needed. This is the centerpiece guy that they needed. This guy's averaging 21 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists so far this season. Perfect. 
perfect. A big man who's getting rebounds, but who's also distributing the ball. He's so versatile. Like, I understand he didn't play well in the playoffs last year. I attribute a lot of that to fatigue and also putting a lot of pressure on yourself because it's the Knicks and we got to do it and it's on me and just trying to do too much. And it didn't work out. He didn't play well. But I don't I don't think that's happening twice. I think the the, the Fournier signing has been incredible. What a what a great signing, right? This is a guy that's that's killed you. He's killed the Knicks on every team he's played for, whether it's Orlando or it's Boston. He's always he's been a Knicks killer. So get him on your team. <laughs> get him away from them. Put him on your roster so he's no longer killing you. And the guy is just a, a solid player. I mean, he's averaging 17 points so far this season. Like, even if that dips, which I don't think it will, because I think that's what he is. Like, what what a what a great just get good players here. Even Kemba Walker's just a good player. We don't need great. I've I've always forever been a proponent of giving me two really good players and the rest of the team be really solid role players who know and accept their role and you can have whatever megastars you want. I'm taking that team. To me, that's what the Spurs always were. One or two really good players and the rest of the roster was just solid role players who accepted their role because that's important. That's not like a six-man coming off the bench who feels like, ah, I still play 35 minutes. That's a guy knowing, hey, this night you might only play three minutes. And him being okay and comfortable to say, I'm going to go in the game. I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to go in and be like, it's my turn now and try to take over. No, no, no. I'm going to play the game the way we're supposed to play and follow the system and play my role. That is so important. And I feel like the Knicks have a group of guys that like playing with each other. You can see it. And they have guys who have have accepted their roles and know their role and and embrace it and are playing together and they're having good results. I will say this. Emmanuel, quickly, don't like him. (laughs) I know. That was like our guy, right? That was the draft pick. Last year it was, oh, look at quickly, look at quickly, finally got a point guard. I don't like him. I don't trust him. I think he's too erratic. I think he goes too fast. I think he tries too hard to make big, splashy plays or make the play. I feel like he's the weak link. I also feel like Obi Toppin is far better than he realizes. And the moment he realizes how good he is, it's over for the rest of the league. I've said it before. Julius Randle, like I said, is averaging 21-11-6. Obi Toppin could do the same. I just feel like he doesn't really quite believe it yet. He, I'm telling you, he can be a dominant player. The talent is there. The skill is there. He just has to believe it. I think it's going to happen some point in the season. I think it's going to click probably after the All-Star break. It's probably going to click for him, and they're going to take off through the playoffs. Not calling a championship. Not saying they're going to keep it up and be in the top three. I told, I said, what what I say? They're going to be the fourth seed? I think at the beginning of the year, I said the fourth seed. I'll hold on to that. I'm not mad at that prediction. 
So uh, let me slide. Let me slide real quick. And 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 move on to. I said something last week where I talked about the the Lamelo Ball hype train, right? And I said, hey, just calm down a little bit on the Lamelo Ball love. And I said that people were talking about him like he was this transcendent great player, and he's not. He's just a, a good player, a good to really good player, right? And that's and that's. That's what I said. And I said his averages would probably be 16, 17 points a game, six assists, six rebounds. That's that's what he's going to be. Now, I was saying that coming off of the excitement of game one in which he had 31 points, nine rebounds, and seven assists. He was seven of nine from three. And everyone was going crazy. Oh, my God. Look at this game. And I was saying, okay, but that's that's a game. And I even said 16, you know, 17, 6, and 6 is what his averages will probably be for his career. But he'll have games where he'll have these big explosions. And every time he has a big explosion, everyone goes crazy. And it's as if they forget everything else and they just only remember this game and that's all that matters. Two times so far, two times this year, he scored in single digits. You know what's interesting to me? I'm not a hater of LaMelo Ball. I said he, he'll he be a really good player. Right now, he's good. He'll be really good. When he retires, they'll say he was a really good player. 17-6-6. Six, six. Since game one, in the next seven games after the big opening night, he's averaging 18.5 points, 5.7 rebounds, and 6 assists a game. That sounds very close to 17, 6, and 6, which is what I think he's going to be. So game one, he has a great game one, and, and since then, he's fallen back to what he'll average, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. That's what I would figure. I'm not crazy, guys. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I know when I say things, I intentionally say them after the big moment. So that you don't think I'm only saying it after things have gone bad. Right? So, as far as Matt Stafford and Jared Goff, I talked about the trade. Like, what's the point? I feel like it was kind of a you got what you already had type of trade. I said it after Stafford was already playing great. So you wouldn't think I'm just saying it after, oh, well, he started off hot and everyone thought it was a great idea and then it fell apart and now you're saying it. No, I try to say it first and early so you understand I'm thinking this already, even if it's working, because I'm not a results-based guy, right? So after LaMelo has the big first game, I'm thinking, guys, calm down. It's it's a big game. He's going to have those. And if you look at this year, he has multiple 30-point games. But then he'll also give you a seven-point game, a 13-point game. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's going to average itself out, but he's going to have these blips in these moments because that's what type of player he is. Guess what? He's shooting 42% from the field. If you shoot 42%, you're going to have some games where you put up big numbers and some games where you put up low numbers. There's going to be some 2 for 14 from the field games. 
You know what I mean? Like, that's what he gets. He's shooting 38% from three, which is good. So he's going to take a lot. <laughs> but what I'm saying is pe- people think I'm crazy when I say these things. But look, sometimes I'd be right. Now it's early. It's early, I know. But things are trending to be exactly what I felt they would be. Why? Because while everyone else is saying, oh, he's going to get better, he's going to get better, he's going to get better, sometimes it is what it is. Sometimes getting better doesn't mean I'm going to average more points. It means my shooting percentage might improve. But with that, I'm not going to be taking 30 shots. I'm going to be taking 21. I'm going to be more efficient, but it doesn't mean I'm just going to score more points, get more rebounds, and my stats are going to improve. They might not. Your stats might stay exactly the same, and you could still say, I'm a better player. I know some of you were looking at me like, that makes no sense, but it does make sense for anyone who actually plays sports or has played sports or follows sports. You can absolutely be a better player and your stats not reflected. Y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Some of (laughs) y'all. But that's where I'm at with it. So that hype train needs to chill. Chill, hype train. And guess what? Ever since I said it, it's as if my algorithms are listening to me. Hey, guys, your phone is always recording everything you say, and it's delivering the information to all the apps you have. So if you say something, it's going to be passed to the app, and then your phone's going to reflect it. Conspiracy theory. (laughs) That's true. That is absolutely true, though. That one's true. I started saying, yo, maybe it's just my timeline. Maybe my algorithms are telling me I want to see it. I don't want to see no more LaMelo Ball. Keep it out of my face. And guess what? Last night was the first time since I said that, that LaMelo Ball came across my timeline. That's right. They listened to me, and they took him out of my face, and the hype train, at least on my end, seems to be quiet a little bit. But I also attribute that to he hasn't really had one of those games where you feel like you need to rave about. Because he's been his normal self, which is a really good player. Just not doing anything special. And I don't understand why that's an insult. Can somebody tell me why that's an insult? I don't think Julius Randle's a great player. I think he's really good. 21, 11, and 6. He's really good. Right? Like, that's not an insult. (laughs) Understand what I'm saying. If you're a really good player, you're just not great. And that's fine. Not everybody's going to be great. Guess what? Anthony Davis, really good player. Not great. Remember when everyone thought, when everyone was saying Russell Westbrook was a great player, top five in the NBA? Do you still think that? No, you probably don't. Right? But he's still a really good player. He's just not great. And that's fine. And listen, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the Lakers. We have to, right? The Lakers are such an interesting case study. And I have to dig into it, but I need time to really figure out how I feel. Because I love Carmelo Anthony, and I'm rooting for him. And if they were to win a championship, I would be so happy for him. (laughs) And he could live the rest of his life knowing that LeBron called me, told me he wanted me to come here, and we got a championship. He could say, I got a ring for LeBron. (laughs) 
that comes across as such LeBron hate, but I don't mean it that way. What I'm saying is, like, as a guy, to know you got a championship and your and your friend called you and wanted you to come play after everyone made comments for years about how nobody wants to play with you, how, how come LeBron's never gotten him on his team, and he finally did and you win a championship, good for you, man. Go out on top. But at the same time, it's also such a weird mix and match of players. Like, what was the thought going into it? Was there a plan? Like, is there a way that they saw this working out? Because it, it's a mess. It's a mess. And when you see it, like, yeah, you can win a lot of regular season games. Because in the regular season, you could win just based off of energy and effort. Right? That's why so many teams might be number one in, in the conference and then get into the playoffs and lose. Because it's like, regular season, not everyone's on the same page of every game is life or death. Some guys will mail it in a couple times. <laughs> I know we don't want to think about it like that, but it's true. Some of these guys mail it in. On a Thursday night in February, yeah, no thanks. I'm, I'm good, man. Uh, you guys have it. <laughs> Right? You got a job. You never went to work one day and said, I just, you know, it's 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 Tuesday. I'm not feeling it. I'm not gonna have my best effort today. Right? It happens. We're human. Professional athletes are no different. They got those mindsets. Like, you know, your girlfriend, you on the way to the game, your girl texting you crazy, like, ugh. You get to the game and you can't find your socks. <laughs> There's a million things that happen, and I'm sure you're like, man, tonight's just, I don't feel like it. Right? So you could win a bunch in the regular season, but when you get to the playoffs and everyone's buckled down and focused and zeroed in on it, and you're playing the same team for a series, that team can make adjustments and attack certain things that you do. That's when you kind of get exposed. And that's where I have my doubts about the Lakers, because they're mishmash of players. They're all alphas. They're a whole roster of alphas. Right, So when it comes down to it, at the end of the game, if things are tight, if things are close, if things aren't going well, every single one of them believes and has the ability to carry the team. But if they're all trying to do it at the same time, there's only one ball, guys. It's going to cause some problems, right? So you think, oh, we'll figure it out regular season, but like, you kind of can't figure that out until you're in that situation. And then that's when you come in and you hope that everybody just follows the lead of LeBron and says, LeBron, you're the guy, and we're all following you. But I don't even know if LeBron wants that at this point. I don't think he wants to carry the team. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's getting older, man. That's exhausting. I don't want to carry the team. You guys, you guys do something. <laughs> Could you imagine what that man has gone through his entire career? His entire life has been carry us. Carry us, LeBron. We need you, LeBron. We need you, man. Carry us, bruh. He's probably like, I'm I'm tired, man. My feet hurt. <laughs> and that man's got some nasty feet, bro. Just Google image LeBron's feet and horrify yourself and scar yourself the way I have. Okay? <laughs> anyway, look, man. I, I noticed something about myself. This week, particularly, that annoys me about myself and also is, uh, uh, it's one of those, I think it's a great quality and a bad quality. And that quality is I love hard, right? 
I know you hear that. It's stupid. It's a stupid expression. And, and usually girls say, like, oh, I love hard. And it's kind of like an excuse to be crazy, right? <laughs> Let's call a spade a spade. If, if your girl looks at you and says, I'm sorry, I just love hard, that means I'm crazy. And from time to time, I'm going to do something crazy, but I want you to forgive me because I'm only doing it because I love you. <laughs> We've all heard it, and it's it's insane, right? But this is true. What I mean is, every once in a while, I'll 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 find a player, and I I just really like that player for whatever reason. I like the player, and I root for him. I root for him to the end. And and when it's not going well, I feel bad. And when it's going well, I want to tell everybody like, look, like I like almost like a proud father, right? <laughs> and that's I noticed that that's happening to me now. Because I said in a very early episode, I didn't understand why the Rams were trading for Matthew Stafford. What was wrong? What did Goff do wrong that you said, I got to get rid of him? Right? I know. You're probably sitting there thinking, again? I know. But what I, what I noticed was I, I'm rooting so hard for Jared Goff. Right? And I just... I. I I keep seeing, now my algorithms, instead of LaMelo Ball, everything is being Jared Goff hate. And all I'm seeing is, if your quarterback is Jared Goff, then you made a mistake. Then you got to cut him. You got to let him go. Then you're better off with anybody else. I, I watched the video where they said his fourth down, uh, when he threw the ball away, was the worst play. And then I watched it, and it was like, I don't think he was throwing the ball away. I think he missed the throw. Right? I think he missed it. But that's just me. That's just me. I saw Tom Brady last year think it was it was third down when it was fourth down. And he was completely flabbergasted. And that's the greatest quarterback of all time. Made a mistake. So now you're going to harp on this guy. Uh, uh, oh, let me chill. Let me chill. Let me chill. I'm getting too ahead of myself. So my point was, because I'm rooting so hard for Jared Goff, I really don't understand why everyone hates Jared Goff. And so this week I spent time trying to figure out what is it that they hate. And I keep having to revisit what I said. Did I say that Jared Goff was better than Matthew Stafford? If I did, I apologize. I misspoke. Okay? Sometimes I I, I be in here. It's early when I'm recording. I got birds chirping. I got a lot going on. I'm drinking energy drinks. I'm charged up, you know what I mean? So sometimes I have like four or five ideas firing off in the brain and they come out jumbled and it might sound one way when I'm really meaning something else or I got three different thoughts that come out all as one as bleh, little word vomit. I think Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback than Jared Goff. I do. But I don't think that the Rams are better off with Stafford over Goff. I know that's a weird thing to say, right? That's weird. Like, if one guy's better, why wouldn't you be better? Because I thought Jared Goff works well with McVay. I thought if you if you you can win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff, and we're gonna get into that because that Super Bowl is fascinating to me. Okay. So I just thought that as the Rams, you were trading your quarterback for a guy who's basically the same as your quarterback he hasn't proved more in the nfl 
he hasn't accomplished more in the NFL. What was what what was the whole like? You think I'm crazy? For Jared Goff's career, he's completing sixty four percent. Matthew Stafford for his career is completing sixty three percent. Almost identical. Jared Goff for his career is a ninety point eight QB rating. His quarterback rating is a ninety point eight for his career. You want to know what Matthew Stafford's is? They're they're not much, they're not very different. They complete around the same percentage. They're about the same rating. They've both had great seasons and bad seasons. And they've both had those times when you say he's really good and then gets to a big spot and it, it, it doesn't come through. They've both had it. They're almost the same player and that's what I meant when I said this trade seems like you're not getting a big upgrade now you would look at it and say Matthew Stafford's on pace to have a great year oh my god look at his year and I would say yeah in 2018 Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl with the Rams and in that season he completed 65 percent threw for 4,688 yards 32 touchdowns and 12 picks with a QB rating of 101.1 He's completing 8.4 yards per attempt. I hate that stat, though. I have to use it for this argument. (laughs) But I hate the stat. It's the dumbest stat in the world. Oh, I hate it. Can I break into that? Let me break into that for a second. No, I'm not going to break into it for a second. I got to make sure that I'm understanding it correctly. We'll do that another time. We'll have a whole show about stats that I hate. Stats that are dumb that don't make any sense. But what what I'm trying to illustrate to you is Jared Goff's best year. Right, in his second year with Sean McVay, he had a great season. Matthew Stafford is now having that. Matthew Stafford's been in the league longer, coming over to McVay. He's already a veteran. He's already been there, done that, had success, and he's coming in and he's having. He's going to end up with his best season. You already had that with Jared Goff, and you got to a Super Bowl, and that Super Bowl changed everyone's opinion of Jared Goff. And when you when you look at that Super Bowl, right? You think, "Oh, Jared Goff was terrible that game. He was awful. He was awful." So that Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53, really turned everyone against Jared Goff. He wasn't good in that game. He was bad. In that game, Jared Goff was 19 of 38 for 229 yards and a pick. And surprisingly, by the hands of fate, a replay of that game was on last night. You know, the whole NFL Films one where they have like the sideline discussions and all that stuff. And in that, I saw the interception. Because, again, your memory says he was terrible in that game. 19 of 38, 229 and a pick, that's not great. It's 50% completions. It's not great, right? It's a bad game. We can all agree that's a bad game. But the pick, if you watch it, he looked like he slipped a little bit. (laughs) I'm making excuses for sure. Either way, bad pick. It was a bad interception. But that game, he has forever been labeled as, uh, he stinks. Because of that game, that was the moment it changed. 
Because 4,600 yards, 32 touchdowns, 101 rating. If he wins that Super Bowl and then continues to have the same career that he's had, we're not looking at him as a scrub or a bum. Right? So that changed everything. The thing that's interesting to me is in that same game, Tom Brady was 21 of 35 for 262 yards in an interception. Tom Brady didn't play well either. He didn't play well either. That game was garbage. It was 13 to 3. You remember it like Tom as if Tom Brady did something because they won. See, results based. That's what most people are. Jared Goff lost the game, so you remember he had a bad game and they lost. He sucks. Tom Brady had just as bad a game. Just as bad. Tom Brady was just as bad in that game. But they won. So you don't think about how bad Tom Brady was in that game. You don't think like, you know what I mean? The only time I've ever seen a bad quarterback game get like get brought up was when Ben Roethlisberger won the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. And they, talk, they do talk about that. <laughs> how he was terrible, but they won. But like, yeah, he was terrible in that game. So what I'm trying to say is that game destroyed his career and destroyed your perception of him. But the greatest quarterback in the world he was going against was just as bad, and they won, though, so we'd never really think about it. And so for me, I say, man, this guy was the first quarterback in Cal history to start as a true freshman. He's got a bunch of records at the school. He was the number one draft pick. He came in. His third year, he went to a Super Bowl. And his second year, after he got away from Jeff Fisher, who's a terrible offensive-minded coach, he went from like a 63 QB rating to 100. Like in one year, just completely changed it and was like, whoa, this guy's good. Third year, goes to a Super Bowl, has a great year, comes back the next year, has another good year. And then all of a sudden, it's like, this guy's got to go. And it's like, I don't understand why everybody thinks Jared Goff can't win. Or why they think he's not a good quarterback. Now, if you look at this year, Matthew Stafford's having a really good year. And you know what everybody's telling me? If I bring up his numbers in Detroit, I say, yeah, but it was Detroit. Detroit sucked. Detroit's always sucked. It's always going to suck. He just needed a better team. You put him on a better team with a better coach with some real weapons, look what he's doing. And I would say, yeah, I agree. But Jared Goff is now in Detroit. And you guys are still crucifying him and using what he's doing this year as evidence of he sucks. But a second ago, you just told me you can't judge Matthew Stafford for what he did in Detroit because it's Detroit. But you're judging Jared Goff for what he's doing in Detroit? Do you think any quarterback's going to go to Detroit and, and do better? You don't think Detroit was destined for, for a terrible season this year? That's what I'm saying. And that's what hurts my soul. <laughs> that's what hurts me. That's why I feel like a parent to Jared Goff. Like, this is my kid. Like, stop trashing my kid. I like this guy, man. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think the opinion was made. It was stated. And listen, I understand that Jared Goff's not great. I'm not saying Jared Goff is great. I'm not saying he's great. <laughs> I, I'm about to say something. 
look, I think if you go through the NFL and you really thought about it and you looked at the starting quarterbacks in the NFL and you said, who would you rather have? And you went list for list and you said, who would you take over Jared Goff? Who would you rather have? I think there's not a lot of guys you would say before you got to Jared Goff. And for whatever reason, he's just written off as this, he's a scrub. And I hope, I hope that somebody's watching and takes a chance on Jared Goff in the offseason. I would, I would hope, if I'm the Lions, I'm saying, yo, going into this offseason, it's all build around Jared Goff. We got this guy here. This is our quarterback. Build around him. Get some more weapons in there. Get some more, you know, the offensive line, you got a lot of young guys. You got a lot of talent there. That's something you could build around. You got a good running back. Continue to add weapons and let's go forward with Jared Goff. But instead, they're probably going to draft the quarterback and start all over, either trade Goff or release him outright. As a Cowboys fan, I would love Jared Goff on the Cowboys. The problem is, is he'd have to start and Dak Prescott's there. So, but otherwise, like, if I'm Pittsburgh, if I'm Pittsburgh, if Jared Goff is on the market, I'm taking him. No questions. No question. If I'm Cleveland, sorry, Baker, I ain't paying you. I'm getting Jared Goff. If I'm the Giants, Daniel Jones is solid. He, he's not bad, but Jared Goff is better. I'm taking him. If I'm the Eagles, sorry, Hurts, I'm going with Goff. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's guys in this league that are like, man, you know, no, no, nah, no, 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 no. Do you know what I'm saying? There's teams that are going to need a quarterback, and instead of going and drafting a guy, like, you're better off with golf. Go grab golf. I'm telling you, man, this guy is way better than you guys give him credit for. And it hurts me so. Yeah, man, I think. I think I think I hit I think I hit everything I want to hit. I think I touched on everything I want to touch on. Listen, let me can I just say I started this right as like a uh I, I, I presented it and it's even listed as a as a sports and entertainment podcast. Right? And my thought was I I love movies, I love music, I wanna I wanna talk about those things, but Sports is like number one, so I, I I wanted to have a show that I could I could talk about all of it. If I if I wanted to come in one day and say I'm going to talk about music today, I would. If I wanted to talk about you know a game I watched last night and then talk about this movie and I talk about that music and I talk about that show, I just wanted to have the freedom to talk about whatever, right? But you have to have like a concentration, and I just felt like sports was a lot easier because I'm not I never went to film school. I don't know like intricate details about cinematography and all this. I'm just a regular guy who watches a movie and decides if I like it or not. Right? Like, I'm not... I don't watch a movie and think about the symbolism of this and that and the way he he constructed the shot and the angles and the Dutch angle. Like, bro, that's beyond me. I just let you know if I'm watching the movie, does it make me feel something? Does it captivate me? Does Does it keep me interested? Does it make me... Say to myself, I, I'm, I can't believe this, right? So I was like, I don't want to make myself look like a fool and come in here every week and talk about. Even when I talk about music, I love music, 
But to say the, the melody and the brass section and this and that, like all the technical details, like I don't, that's not me. But I will say, I watched Dune, right? The new one, not the 1984 David Lynch one. I tried to watch that a couple years ago. Couldn't do it. it was too weird, too odd, too old. Like, I couldn't do it. And I don't have a problem with old movies. Don't get me wrong. Right? I like old movies. But that one was like, it was an old movie that was trying to show you future tech. So, like, <laughs> now seeing it now, it's more distracting and ugh. You know what I mean? But the new one, the one by Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> I don't know how to say the name, but it's... It's the guy who did Blade Runner, the guy who did Prisoners, uh, the guy who did Sicario. This guy, listen, this guy doesn't miss, right? Every movie this guy does is like Arrival, bro, top notch, right? Unbelievable. I was sitting in the theaters watching that movie, saying, "I can't believe what this is," right? So this guy doesn't miss. So this movie Dune, I saw the trailer a while ago, and I was like, "That movie looks like it's gonna be good. I, I can't wait to watch it." Pandemic happens. We come up on, it's going to be on HBO Max. Thank God. I already pay for HBO Max. I don't have to go out and get a movie ticket. I don't have to sit and get COVID. I don't got to be around no sick people. I don't got to worry about having a seat. I don't got to worry about leaving my house. I can watch it in the comfort of my own home. Watched it. That movie is unreal. Dune right now on HBO Max is unreal. It is so, it is so good. It doesn't make sense. It makes me mad. You just watch it. Look, if you haven't watched it yet, right, and you're listening to me talk about it, and you're like, I'm going to go watch it. This is going to be amazing. Let me tell you something. It's not. <laughs> and what I mean by that is it's not action-packed. It's not like fast-paced. It's not like this edge-of-your-seat movie. What it is is it's just perfectly done. It looks amazing. The story is like complicated, but presented in a way that's easy to digest. That where if you try to tell somebody what it's about, they're gonna be like, "What? What are you talking about? Harkonnen, Atreides, what? Is, the spice? What are you talking about?" Yeah, but when you're watching it, you're able to follow along very easily. The acting is great. The presentation is unbelievable, and what you end up with is a total package of a movie that just makes you sit down and say. You just watch. You just get lost in it. You get lost in it. It's unbelievable. It's so good. It's so good. At, at, a, at a moment where Eternals is coming out this weekend and it's the big Marvel movie coming out and it's probably going to make a fortune and people are either going to hate it or love it, this movie, Dune, is, that, is perfect. It's perfect movie making. I was going to say filmmaking, but that makes you sound like a snob. <laughs> but it, the, way, the way it's made and packaged and presented to you is perfect. It, it, you, ha- you have to watch it. And you have to go into it thinking, just get lost in the experience. It, it, it's making me say, I, I, I want to go to a theater to see it. That's how, that's how much I loved it. But I'm a weirdo. But... That's my recommendation for the week. Watch Dune. Watch Dune 2021. Watch it. Envelop yourself in it. Turn out all the lights. Put it on the biggest screen you have. 
watch it. That's my time, y'all. <laughs> Listen, man, again, I want to thank the Cyber family for coming out today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Listen, we got the big fight this weekend. Again, I think Canelo's going to win. Is there a surprise there? No. But listen, again, I'm saying it not based on that I'm just a fan of the guy. I'm saying it based on trust your history. Trust your eyes. You've seen it. I've seen him go in there with, with, with everybody. And, and it looks the same. This guy is special. So I'm picking Canelo to win by decision. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna hit plant with something early that's gonna make plant hesitant for the rest of the fight. He's just gonna control it. Right? I'm taking the Cowboys to beat the Broncos. Uh, and surprisingly, I'm taking the Giants to beat the Raiders. They got a lot of things going on this week. The situation with Rugs, which is just horrible. Horrible. I didn't touch on it because it's it's just bad but they got a lot going on i'm picking them picking the giants to beat the raiders i'm picking ohio state obviously to beat nebraska nebraska is trash and then i'm taking in a surprise i'm taking purdue to beat michigan state at home this weekend that's right that's my upset pick of the week i'm taking purdue at home to beat michigan state who was just put as the number four team in the college football playoff. Oh, number three team in the college football playoff. (laughs) That's right. Those are my picks for the week, man. That's been my time. I thank you all for coming. I thank you all for listening again. I thank you for downloading. I thank you for supporting. I just ask you guys, please, 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 please uh, follow me on Instagram at thejohnfarris. Come over there. Send me messages, write comments, do whatever. Let's engage, let's talk, let's interact. Tell me your ideas, tell me your opinions, tell me what you like, what you hate, what you'd love to see. Listen, we're flirting with the idea of, uh, of doing this in the video format too. We got some merch ideas coming up. We got a lot happening. This is just the beginning. Again, we're growing, we're getting better each time out. Again, thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Hope you have a great and blessed week. I'll see you next week.